how many good friends would you say that you have? Like if all of a sudden life were to hit you really hard and you needed a friend to just come over to your place like right now, maybe, maybe you just need somebody to watch your kids right now. Maybe you need someone to just be with you, to cry with you in a tragedy, or someone to just sit and listen to you. I want to ask you the question, if that happened, if sort of tragedy struck, you needed to call a friend, who would you call? Don't think of a family member, a friend. Who would you call? For many Americans, their minds are blank. I think this is a major downside of our current American culture. Now, for much of the world, I would even say the majority of the world, this is not a downside. In many Asian cultures and African cultures, Latin American cultures, the value of community is still paramount, but that's not true in America anymore, at least if your family has been here for a generation or two, because Americans, we focus on the individualistic qualities about ourselves. We want to be unique. Uh, we we want to be able to accomplish things on our own. For many of us as Americans, one of the worst things we can imagine is having to be dependent upon another person, right? And that's just for starters. Uh, history has begun to change things. So uh, suburbanization plays into this because we added this whole concept of uh, what the suburbs look like on top of our rugged individualism that we already had. So for example, I grew up in a small town in Minnesota it was small enough that I could walk on many of the streets, and I could tell you, not every house, but a lot of the houses, I could say, oh, the Johnsons live there, the Pearsons live there, the Andersons live there. Everybody ended in sun. It was a very Scandinavian town, right? But you just could. It was a small town. And in a small town, a lot of people who live in the town work in the town. And so my dad was the high school teacher in the town. Whenever I say it like that, it sounds like he was the only teacher. It wasn't that small. Uh, <laughs> He was a high school teacher in the town. My mom was a librarian in the town. But see, in the suburbs, it's pretty rare to even find someone who works in the same town that they live in, right? We wake up in the morning, we get in our cars or on the bus, and we commute somewhere to a different city, and then we come home. At the end of the day, we go in our garage, the garage shuts behind us, we go inside, and we are unknown to most of our neighbors. It's not a community. But things are always changing, so we're, we've always kind of, America's always kind of been this individualistic culture, but we've added suburbanization, and now technology has really um, rapidly begun to progress this idea of isolation in our culture. You know, we now, especially since the invention of the smartphone in 2007, we have more entertainment at our disposal than the kings and queens did in the 1700s or the 1800s. And often now we choose entertainment over our friends. Even scarier, a technology gives us this illusion that we still are making connections with people, right? Because you know what everybody's up to, thanks to social media. Like somebody that you had a class with in 10th grade once, you know what they had for breakfast this morning. And so you have this sense of like, oh, I'm still connecting with people. You know, thanks to texting, uh, almost all of us in this room are on at least one super annoying group text chat. You know what I'm talking about? Amen? All right. All right. Oh, all day long, right? And so we have this sense of like, yes, I'm connecting. I'm connecting with people. I know what's going on. But I mean, you can read any study, any journal written in the last five, ten years, and they're going to tell you that digital connections don't even remotely 
bring you the same sort of benefits as face-to-face connections, of which we rarely even have anymore. I think I could probably go for another 100 minutes here on all the reasons why Americans don't really have a lot of friends anymore, but I'm pretty sure you don't need me to, because you know it. And many of you know this personally, and you know what it feels like to feel lonely and alone, and like you don't have a lot of friends that you could really confide in. I want to tell you this morning that God doesn't want you to feel alone. He wants to have a relationship with you, a close relationship with you, and he also desires that you would have close friendships with other people that follow him. In fact, much of the New Testament, the New Testament is so the last third of the Bible, it's everything from Jesus sort of onward, much of the New Testament presupposes that we are in community as Christians. In fact, one of the things I know that I've told you before is that there are 59 one another commands in the New Testament. So there's these commands, 59 of them, that read like, be patient with one another, serve one another, confess your sins to one another, help one another, encourage one another. But you can't fulfill any of those commands if you are alone, if you're not in biblical community. In fact, I would tell you that you can't develop into who Jesus wants you to be if you're not getting together with other Christians who actually know you. Now, I know as a pastor who follows a bunch of other churches, I I know that much of the modern church is not heading this direction in America. But I want to say to you and even to other churches that Christianity cannot become this thing in America where Christians only consume worship services at home in their pajamas alone. Christianity can't become this thing where the only time we read our Bible is alone. It can't become this thing where whenever we need spiritual advice, we go to Google alone. Now, if you did that, that would all be very modern of you, but you would be missing out on about half of what the New Testament asks of you as a follower of Christ. You'd be missing out on about half of what the New Testament has for you in blessings as a follower of Christ. Biblical Christianity, not American Christianity, biblical Christianity is meant to happen in community. So why is it that so many American Christians aren't in any sort of Christian community? I want to tell you today, I think for a lot of us, it comes down to this virtue that we are lacking, and that is the virtue of humility, where you could flip it to the other side of the coin and say it is the sin of pride. We are in week two of this series called uh, The Chief Virtue. We're talking about how if you have humility in your life, it'll lead to so many of the other virtues and blessings that you want in your life. And this morning, I want to submit to you that humility will lead you to a deeper sense of community, almost more than any other thing. Uh, The Apostle Paul in the Bible uh, says it uh, this way in his letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, he says, be completely humble. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You know what he's saying? He's saying, so many of us don't have close friends in our lives, and why is it? It's because so many of us are unable to actually live out the Scripture. So he says, be patient. We struggle to be patient with our friends 
when we keep seeing their faults. It says, bear with one another. People, if they are your friends, they, I'm assuming they're human and not robot, they will fail you. They're sinners. We struggle to bear with that. We don't keep unity of the spirit. We don't keep in peace. And so many of us, we just eventually, our number of friends continues to decrease and decrease and decrease and decrease until there's almost nothing left. You may have a lot when you're still in your 20s, into your 30s, into your 40s, and some of that is natural, right? But a lot of it, that number is decreasing because there was tension, there was conflict, and we were unable to manage through that conflict, and now we don't have friends. And whether you say it overtly or it's just subconsciously, many of us say it's actually easier to not have those close friends because we don't have to deal with all that. Or for many others, the, flip, the, the script is actually flipped, and we say, I don't know if I could even have close friends because they would see how messed up I really am. But Paul says, if we would be humble, if we would know that we are a sinner and we are going to fail them, and, and we would expect that they are sinners and they're going to fail us, if we would bring humility to the friendship, we could still be in community with other people. And so what I actually want to do this morning, this is kind of my main aim, is I want to show you how humility will allow you to take three steps deeper into community. So these things are going to build upon each other. Some of you, you might not even be at step one yet of just Christian community. And some of you, you might be stuck at step two, but the goal is that we all get at least into step three. So here's the first one. <clears throat> Feel free to write these down if you want. Three steps deeper, three deeper steps into community. Number one is this. It is humility that will enable you to enter into community in the first place. See, for many of Americans, it's actually our pride and I don't know if you've ever put these things together before, humility and community, but it's actually our pride, our lack of humility that keeps us from stepping out of isolation and into Christian community. See, there are plenty of Americans who say that they follow Christ. Many of them even attend a church service like this on a Sunday, but as far as the 59 one another commands... As far as being the body of Christ, as 1 Corinthians talks about, as far as building one another up spiritually, as Ephesians 4 talks about, as far as helping other people grow spiritually. Because remember, what happens here on a Sunday morning, this, this church, some people call this church, this is just a fraction of what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ. So many Americans haven't gotten to step one yet because it's our pride keeps us out of it. We just kind of stay anonymous at a church somewhere. Our pride, it lies to us to ensure that we don't actually get in community. So your pride will say a number of things to you about this. Your, your pride will say, you don't actually need to get to know any of these people sitting around you right now. You your life's been difficult lately, you've gone through a lot of hard stuff. You just come here for you. That's what our pride says. Our pride says, <laughs> don't, don't be a part of one of those groups where they're like looking at the Bible and talking about their lives. Because if you do that, people are going to really discover what a mess you actually are. And you don't need that. And our pride keeps us out of community. Our pride says, you don't, you don't need to be in community or in a group with other Christians. That's weak. That's weak, that you would be depending on other people. You don't need that. Or for many of us, our pride says, okay, you can't, 
you don't, you don't have the time to be in a group like this. Look at your schedule. You're doing this with your kids and everybody else and your work schedule. You don't have time to do this. As if we have something more important than obeying God's commands and building up the community of Christ. Pride will keep you out of Christian community every time, but humility enables you to actually get in it. Before I go any further in this, and one of the things that I realized is there are a ton of you that are new at our church, even from this summer, a kind of late spring, and so you might not necessarily have a sense of when I say Christian community, this is how we do it at Renovation Church. So I'm just going to step aside for like 60 seconds, and I'm going to show you a, a video of our house groups for how we do Christian community, because I think that'll explain it even better than I can. So let's take a look. You know, I think that house groups are perhaps the thing, maybe what we do in church planning, but I, I guess I would say house groups, are perhaps the thing that makes Renovation Church so unique as a church. Uh, the average church has about 20% of their people involved in like weekly groups. At Renovation Church, an astounding 80% of our people, of our adults, are involved in a house group. 80%. That's amazing, right? Uh, there are a couple other unique things about it that you maybe didn't see in the video. Uh, one, uh, our groups are medium to large, so we have 20 to 30 people in a house, and we do that for a number of reasons. It, it allows you to have actually a community of people around you, almost like a small church, and there's a greater chance with that number that you're going to find two or three people within that group that you actually really can connect with. Another thing, our groups are intergenerational, and so I believe that it's helpful when you have some people who are older than you in a group. It's helpful when everyone doesn't look just like you, so you can learn from someone who's older than you, and you can also be inspired by someone who's younger than you. We have nine different groups, five different nights, Sunday through Thursday. We're even starting a brand new group this year, which is amazing. Uh, that's going to be on Monday nights. It's the one with Tony West. And really, our hope is that every single one of you, every single adult that calls Renovation Church their home, that they would get in a community like this where people can support and encourage you in your faith. In fact, do me a favor. Would you just grab that card that was on your chair? Everybody, 100% of you, just look at it for just a second. You know, I know a ton of you have already signed up. But if you haven't, would you just look at those options? And will you just, in your heart, even maybe even pray to the Lord, Lord, if there is something within me that is prideful, that is keeping me in isolation from other people, would you give me humility today? 
And I pray the Lord would lead you to one of those groups. Uh, you can actually put that in the offering bucket when they go by later during announcements. But I just want to tell you, there's so many benefits to being in community. You know when we were talking about the 59 one another commands? Encourage one another, support one another, love one another. That's being done to you if you're in community. It's such a blessing. You, if, if you're kind of stuck and you haven't even got to step one yet of getting into community, one of the things I can tell you is last year there were 70 people in our church who took step one for the first time, signed up for a house group for the first time. And I look at some of those people, I can think of some of those people that they had a hard year last year. You know, totally unrelated to house groups, but they just, life happened. And I think a couple of those people, I think of a couple of those people who had major health complications last year. But now, they had a group of people, a community of people to rally around them, to pray for them, to bring meals over to their house when they were unable to cook themselves, to encourage them through the hard times. Who doesn't want that in their life? Do you have that in your life? We want to give that to you. That's what the church does. We can do, I don't know where else you're going to find that in the world. 30 people are just going to rally around you. We can do that now, today, for you. That's the church of Jesus Christ. I can think of other people who took step one last year. They signed up for the first time. And then this past year, their marriage began falling apart. And yet, they both now had people who would take them out for coffee, even individually, and listen to them, encourage them, pray for them, give them godly counsel. And now, through the help of community, their marriage is thriving again. Who doesn't want that? But it takes humility to take the first step to get yourself into community. Can you do that today? It not only takes humility to get yourself into Christian community, but it actually takes humility to thrive in Christian community as well. And that brings us to step two. And this is really for all of you that are already in a house group. Um, you know, we're expecting right around, a little less than, right around 350 of you as adults being in house groups this year. And by the way, if you are a middle school student, you're a high school student, uh, you can sub out the words house group for youth group. All these principles apply just the same to you. Here's step two. Humility enables you to ask for help. Because there are plenty of you in this room, you've been going to house groups for a year, maybe two, uh, maybe a few years now, but your pride has gotten in the way of you actually getting deeper in community. Like you're a small group leader that asks great questions, but you don't really want to let people know that you're struggling, and so you share, but you don't really share. You know what I mean? We're all pro professionals at this. Like, oh, what's going on? Well, you know, uh, just uh, my hip's been bothering me a little bit. <laughs> just go have something we can come up with, right? But we don't share what's really happening. Or we share about someone else in our life that's really struggling, but it's not us. Right? And you, you might even be struggling with depression. Maybe your depression is starting to take hold of your life. And your thoughts are becoming even darker. But when people ask you how you're doing in house groups, you give them a very Minnesotan answer. And you say, oh, you know, Good. Going great. It takes humility to ask for help. To remember that you're not a part of a small group with perfect people. You, you just tell yourself when you're sitting across from them that all of these people are ridiculous sinners. <laughs> so, humility. Pride is such an obstacle to depth in community. 
For many of you, I pray this is the year that you bring humility to your small group. You know, one of my most vivid memories of all my years in house groups was when I was, I was visiting a house group once that I, I'm not personally a part of, and there was a person in that particular group who had really wandered from Jesus Christ. And for whatever reason, that night, he had actually showed up at house groups. And I thought to myself, i got to talk to this guy. I want to I meet with him, and I just want to plead with him and encourage him to just come back to Jesus and follow him. Well, right when house groups ended, he left. He went out to his car. And someone said, oh, he just left. So I go outside to go and try and talk to him, and it's just pouring rain. And I'm thinking, he couldn't have left yet. And I'm walking along the street, and you know, for those of you in house groups, you know what it's like. I, I feel so bad for the neighbors, right? This is a huge line of cars, right? And it's pouring, and I'm kind of looking at each car. He's just sitting in his car. He couldn't have left yet. I'm just getting drenched looking in each car. I get all the way to the last car. He's still not in there. I think, oh, he left. So I walk back. I'm just sort of dejected about the lost opportunity. And there's six or seven men from the house group who have also come outside. And I was sort of standing there. They're just disappointed, too, because they just are in their hearts going, oh, there's an opportunity there. It's lost. We just want to plead with him to follow Jesus. And in that moment, I'll never forget, their house leader looked at the rest of the men standing outside, and he said, it is hard to help people when their house is already on fire. And he said, guys, don't wait. We talk about our lives every single week. Don't wait to talk about it until everything is on fire. Humble yourself enough to ask for help. No one in this group is perfect. Far from it. No one's going to be surprised by your issues. We all have issues. Let's help each other. Humble yourself. If you've got things that you're struggling with, talk about it when it's a spark, not a fire. Ask for help. I think it not only takes humility to ask for help, it takes even more humility to receive help, and that's step three here. And I would even specifically say receive help and direction from another person. That takes a whole lot of humility. I'm going to read you a verse um, from the disciple-slash-apostle Peter. And this verse is going to feel really foreign to our American culture, although, again, I'll tell you, it's not foreign to a lot of other places around the world. Here's what Peter says. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud. I don't want God opposing me, by the way, but shows favor to the humble. Now, if you look at 1 Peter 5, if you actually read the context of this, which is so important when you read scripture in chapter 5, you'll see that when he's talking about elders, he's not talking about elders in an age sense, in a chronological sense. He's actually talking in that chapter about spiritual elders. These are the spiritual leaders of the church. And Peter says something pretty fascinating here. He says, submit yourself to your elders. Now, the elders in our church, for context purposes, the elders in our church are our house leaders. Now, we have a church board, but that's something different. And sometimes I think this is confusing to people. But our church board is different. They oversee me. They sign important documents. They create policies. They do governance, all of that kind of stuff. But our spiritual elders of the church the ones that look out for you, they guide you, they shepherd you, they are our house leaders. Now, Peter says, 
submit yourselves to your house leaders, to your spiritual elders. Now, we hear that, and because it's so foreign to us, especially we go, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to, no, I just, doesn't feel right. See, but Peter knows you're going to say that. He's just inspired by the Holy Spirit. So what does he follow up with? He says, okay, but clothe yourself. It's all over you with humility. Because it's going to be hard. Clothe yourselves with humility. I just think this verse is so important for us in America in present day. This is not our forte. When another person comes into our lives, even if they do it really well and really gently, and they say, friend, I feel like you're drifting a little bit. I want you to, I think you need to live this way. What do we do, right? Almost 100% of the time. Now, some of you, you love conflict, and it's all going to come out verbally. For the rest of you, this is just fireworks going off in your head, right? And they say, oh, no, I think, I think you should be living this way. And we go, uh-uh. You're wrong. Say, who are you to tell me how to live my life? Where do you get off telling me how to live my life? You're not perfect. Look at your life. Nowadays, one of the things I hear people say a lot when they're challenged is, this is really popular, say, you're shaming me. So you're not showing grace. But I will tell you that all of those are defense mechanisms of the prideful individualist. I read through the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament uh, this August, and one of the things that really popped off the page to me was almost in every single chapter of Proverbs, all 31 chapters, it's like there's one verse that looks almost exactly like this. I'll show you a sample. It's Proverbs 15, 32. It says, Those who disregard discipline despise themselves. But the one who heeds correction, that is, they listen to correction from another person and they obey it, gains understanding. See, but in our American culture, we have almost zero ability to heed correction from someone else. And I'll tell you why that is. It's because for a lot of us, we grew up in a postmodern culture. And in a postmodern culture, you decide what's right. You, you decide your own truth, you make your own choices for your life, and you live your own life however you want. Other people don't tell you what to do, it's your life. And so this idea of someone else coming in and offering you correction and counsel and advice, it's so foreign to our whole idea of what life, how life even works that it almost doesn't even make sense to us. And yet that sort of thinking runs almost directly contrary to what Scripture teaches Yes, Christian, God has forgiven you. He, he accepted you where you were when he forgave you. But just because he accepted you doesn't mean he wants you to stay that way. God has given you commands in his scripture. And those commands are there, one, to give you life, more life, and two, so that your life would glorify God Almighty. And God has given you leaders in your life who are there to encourage you to glorify God with your life. Now, if this seems kind of weird to you, I want you to think about this as you read through the New Testament letters. Read through 1 Corinthians and Ephesians and Colossians and Titus and Timothy. Read through them, and one of the things that will jump off the page to you is a, a significant portion of the content is dedicated to leaders like Paul, saying to leaders like Titus and Timothy, you are to use the word of God to shepherd your people. 
Let me show you a sample of this. This is 2 Timothy 3.16. Paul says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for, what's the point of scripture, the point of Bible? It's to do a morning devotional that's positive and encouraging. That, okay, that's a portion of it, right? That is. It's teaching. But what else does it say? That the Bible is useful for rebuking people who have strayed. That sounds like it. We should do a message just on that. It's useful for rebuking. It's useful, it says, for correcting. Hey, your friend, you're off course. It's, it's useful. Scripture is useful for training in righteousness. It's training someone to be godly. Paul is expecting these Christian leaders, the elders, to use the word of God to make sure people are, are on path following the shepherd, Jesus Christ. I just want to tell you, I think this is a major growing point for our church. Honestly, I think it's a major growing point for every American church, even ours. You know, we've spent the last nine plus years here appointing spiritual elders, our house leaders, that we really believe in. A ton of thought and examination and prayer has gone into that. And trust me when I say this, they are there to watch over you. You know, today at their services, at our services, I think everybody was at the first service because of the Packer game, but today at our services, there are over 500 people here. There are now over 600 people who call Renovation Church their home. I can't shepherd 600 people. If I tried to do that, I would be dead in a month. But our elders can shepherd 30 people. They can watch over them, and they do. I've seen them labor in prayer over their flock of 30 people. I've seen them fast for people in their flock that are, are struggling. I have seen wolves come at their sheep, and I've seen the elders step in front of them to protect them and say, get out of here. I have seen them rush to the hospital to be with their people in tragedy or in illness. I've seen them sit down and just cry with people in hard times. I've seen them help their people study scripture when they have doubts. I've, I've seen them look at the lives of some of their sheep, and because they care so deeply about them, I've seen them sit down with tears in their eyes and say, my friend, I see you wandering from the flock and most seriously of all, I see you wandering from the chief shepherd, Jesus. Come back. And see, it's right there. If somebody were to sit down with us and say, I think, I think you're wandering from Christ. I think this about your life isn't biblical. I don't think you're obeying or following God here. It's right there that we in America, our pride is so immense it is so difficult for us to receive correction and counsel. Now, that kind of conversation would actually be super commonplace in most of the world where you have collectivist societies, like in Asia, Asia and Africa, and Latin America. In those cultures, conversations like that happen all the time from authority figures, right? From their parents, from their teachers, their grandparents, their pastors. In those cultures, pretty much if anybody's older than you, they have the right, to, as an authority figure, to grab you by the ear and say, get over here. Son, I know you're just my neighbor, but the choices you're making are going to mess up your life. You can do that in our culture, in their culture. But in America, the capital of individualism, we are infantile in our ability to heed 
correction because of our pride. We want all the benefits of friendship and community, but without any of the accountability. That's us. We want all the benefits of friendship and community, but without any of the accountability. And it just doesn't work like that. And the body of Christ doesn't work like that. If I start drifting away from Jesus Christ, I want the people who are in spiritual authority over me, and I know that they will, I want them to sit me down and say, David, you are drifting, and we are, we are worried. And my prayer is that you would look at your elder, that you would look at your small group leader who prays for you and serves you as your shepherd who is looking out for you and can speak into your life. We have so many blind spots as sinners that we don't see. And God has put these people in your life in the blind spot to give you counsel. In humility, could you receive from them? That's how we thrive. You know, I remember when I was 25 years old, I was a youth pastor at Constance Free Church, which is over here in Andover. Great church. And one day the senior staff brought all the staff in together in one meeting, and they made the announcement that the other youth pastor, who was overseeing the other age group at the church, had been dismissed that morning for a moral failure. And I was just devastated. I didn't see it coming at all. He was my friend, my co-laborer in Christ. And all the staff sort of sat around talking, and I just thought, I can't be here right now. Um, I just need to go and cry. And I just left the building sobbing. I'm not a sobber. I got in my car, and I just drove around. I eventually, I found a parking lot. I called my wife. I said, Lindsay, you're just not going to believe what happened. I'm just crying through it. You know, sometimes, sometimes when someone in the church is disciplined because of sin, we feel the sadness of the loss. But you know what else we feel? Sometimes we feel the sense of, yeah, but aren't I a sinner? Because I'm a sinner too. And I remember, especially feeling as a young pastor, I remember thinking, that could be me. Like, if, I, if I'm not more serious and serious about really following Jesus, that could be me someday. There's this fear and this sadness. Finally, I, I collected myself. I drive back to the church. I'm about to walk in the offices, and I see my senior pastor, Randy Disher, who's a man that I, I, to this day, greatly respect. And he walked up to me, and as a spiritual authority in my life, it was as if he could read my mind. And he walked up to me, and he pointed his finger into my chest. And I can still, to this day, 12 years later, I can feel his words to me. And he looked at me as I'm wiping away tears, and he says, doesn't have to be you. It doesn't have to be you. And I just want to tell you, that has been my prayer for a long time now. I want to run my race, and I want to finish it well. Even if everyone else fails around me, it doesn't have to be me. 
And see, as hard as it is to hear sometimes from spiritual leaders that come into our lives and speak into them, I just want to tell you that I am so, so grateful for the spiritual leaders in my life who've spoken into it and challenged me, David, run harder after Christ. Run harder after Christ. And I plead with you as your pastor, humble yourself. Humble yourself and let other people speak into your life. And wherever you are on these steps today, my prayer is that you would take one step more to just humble yourself so that you might experience the richness of God's community. Let me pray. Lord, I pray as a church that we would be a humble church and that we would be a church of just powerful community that supports and challenges and encourages each other. We just thank you for your word, and may we, may we be shaped by it. In your name we pray. Amen.